Hello, it's Robert Bateman here again with another edition of the Privacy Corner, where I talk you through my top three picks for the latest developments in the world of privacy and data protection. Thank you, as always, to Privado AI for providing this space for me to talk about privacy every week. Now, today I'll be covering a development revealing a new type of spyware that leverages digital advertising networks, uh, a challenge at the California US District Court against the Age Appropriate Design Code Act, which suggests the law might be unconstitutional on free speech grounds. And pressure is building, as we expected, on the EU US data privacy framework on three fronts. So I'll be talking you through those areas where the DPF might be challenged. So first, this spyware story that comes from the Israeli publication Haaretz, and they have revealed a new type of spyware called Sherlock. Now, Sherlock uh, leverages the digital advertising networks, real-time bidding to deliver its payload. So here's how it works. Haaretz does not go into detail about the technical parameters of this new malware, but effectively, uh, we all know that the web is replete with tracking technology that collects information about pretty much everyone, uh, what they like, what kind of stuff they might want to buy, and that data is pseudonymized. So it's associated with an advertising ID by the tech giants like Google and Apple. And the idea is that you can't re-identify people's offline identities via that sort of information. But the Haaretz article here, which is behind a paywall, so don't read too hard, I'll just skim through it, uh, alleges that, uh, well, it discusses the industry of adint. So this is ad intelligence using commercially available advertising data to target and surveil individuals. And the new spyware, which is uh, provided by a company called Insanet, I think it's a pun on insane, uh, not sure. They effectively use the real-time bidding process whereby ad companies bid on the opportunity to serve you an ad on a website or app to deliver infected ads to your device. So this is a bit like the Pegasus spyware that's been wreaking a lot of havoc over the last few years, also from an Israeli firm. The Sherlock uh, spyware is a zero-click type of uh, malware. So you don't need to do anything to have this infect your device. There's no link you need to follow, attachment you need to download. It just needs to be served to you in an ad. So the user of the Sherlock software, because Internet is, is selling this as software, not a service. It's the actual application for delivering this spyware that they are selling, which is quite unusual. Uh, Internet can help users target specific groups and whittle down the membership of those cohorts to individuals that they want to surveil, deliver, bombard these people with ads, and then eventually insert an infected ad into the campaign. So anyone whose device receives the infected ad will be compromised. Now, this is very worrying if Haaretz is correct, because Apple and Google allegedly do not know how to defend against this type of malware. Uh, Pegasus is, de is delivered typically via iMessage on iOS, and uh, Apple 
you know, often release quite rushed sort of security patches to take care of Pegasus, but it can patch things up and uh, as it discovers these vulnerabilities. Now, Sherlock is delivered via the front door, as it were. It doesn't depend on device vulnerabilities. It comes from ads on websites. So very uh, dangerous piece of software that has allegedly been sold to at least one non-democratic regime. The long read by Haaretz is worth the subscription in itself. Their coverage of Israeli cybersecurity uh, issues is, is very comprehensive. And there's more details about the the spyware in, in the newsletter, which are always linked in the comments on LinkedIn. Now, next up, let's take a look at this case at the US District Court in California. So this is a federal court uh, that decides on state law issues, uh, as it were, and a case brought against the California Attorney General by an organization called NetChoice. So NetChoice is kind of an industry lobby group, I guess you might call them, uh, that uh, act on behalf of tech companies. And they are not keen on the California Age-Appropriate Design Code Act, a very clumsily titled law that derives from a UK law called originally the Age-Appropriate Design Code and now the Children's Code. I just called the Children's Code a law it's not really a law, it's a code of practice derived from the Data Protection Act in the UK and the GDPR. So it's, it's created by the Information Commissioner's Office and some other people who are also involved in drafting this California law. And it essentially tells controllers how to design their products in a way that complies with the GDPR. Now, the California version of this law is pretty word for word in, in places, but it doesn't have that st same statutory framework as the UK law. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, it's relevant because simply taking a UK law and supplanting it into the US without any of the surrounding legal culture, court precedents, you know, EU-derived law appears to have caused a problem in this case. So the law is fairly, it, it contains a, a number of commonplace obligations that we see across all these new state privacy laws everywhere from California to uh, Connecticut and uh, well 12 states across the US have comprehensive privacy laws now and it's very common to see things like data protection impact assessments, DPIAs, uh, an obligation to provide transparent information to users, uh, privacy notices and uh, prohibitions or restrictions on the sale of personal information, those sorts of provisions. The, the, the California Age-Appropriate Design Code Act has all of those, and so do many of these state privacy laws. Now, the difference with the Age Appropriate Design Code is that it, of course, focuses on children. So that's one of the issues that the court has here. Now, NetChoice say this law is an infringement on the First Amendment of the US Constitution, which guarantees the right to free expression. Now, our European and non-US uh, listeners and, and viewers might be surprised by some of the arguments here that the court sympathizes with. For example, the obligation to provide clear information for children and to tell them if their parents are monitoring them on an online platform uh, is, is characterized as a, a, an attempt to have platforms act as government censors. This is because it is a regulation of sorts on businesses' commercial speech. This is not really a concept we have in the UK. We do have a culture of free expression. It's very, very different from that of the US. And because the law 
impacts how businesses express themselves, the the court says that there are constitutional issues that need to be examined. Now, because Net Choice made what the court sees as some relatively strong arguments, the court has said that the California Attorney General cannot enforce this law until this case is sorted out. So there's a few headlines saying that the court has blocked this law. Not quite. It says it can't be enforced. It was originally going to be enforced next July until this case is resolved. One more uh, example, profiling children, selling children's personal information. These are typically uh, thought of as bad things and things that rightly are coming to be regulated in the US and of course elsewhere. Now the court says that these sorts of provisions throw the baby out with the bathwater because by restricting how businesses use children's personal information, you're also going to affect adults too. So it's almost in European terms that these provisions are disproportionate uh, obligations on, on businesses. So it's a very interesting case. Odia Kagan has done a great article about the kind of main takeaways that I've linked to in the newsletter. And we see things like dark patterns, DPIAs, all challenged on free speech grounds. Now, the law has this extra element of being very child focused and allegedly not achieving its intended goals. But if these types of obligations get challenged in other states, you know, they're, they're everywhere now in the US, data protection assessments, for example, we could find that the US state privacy laws that are popping up all over the place are not on terribly firm footing. These laws can be overturned, you see, if they're found to be unconstitutional. So finally, the EU-US data privacy framework is settling in now and uh, US businesses are signing up and self-certifying. And as we expected, it is facing scrutiny in the EU. Remember the two uh, predecessors of this data transfer agreement were both invalidated by the Court of Justice of the European Union, the CJEU, both after having been challenged by our friend Max Schrems, who brought cases against Facebook that argued that these agreements were illegal, successfully argued. And uh, now the, the, the DPF has already been challenged by someone other than Max Schrems, a French MP and also a commissioner at the French Data Protection Authority, the CNIL, called Nicolas uh, Latombe. And he is trying to challenge the DPF under Article 263 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, the TFEU. Now, Article 263 is a way to bring an annulment application against an EU law or a decision but the law has to be addressed to or directly concern the person bringing the application for annulment. So you can ask the court to overturn an EU law, but you have to be directly uh, affected by the law. And generally, the types of people directly affected by EU laws in the EU's treaties are the institutions themselves, uh, member states, not private citizens, you and I, uh, or even campaign groups who have failed to do this. Uh, for example, with Privacy Shield, the last iteration of the DPF, uh, a group, uh, two groups tried to challenge that decision on Article 263 grounds, and they both failed. So Nicholas Atom thinks his case is different because he feels he is directly affected by the decision because his personal data, after all, is transferred under this agreement. 
I do not hold out much hope for this particular case uh, from Latom's perspective. Uh, he makes some interesting arguments here, one of which is that the DPF was not translated into all the European member state languages as he feels is required under the EU treaties. Now, I don't read the treaties that way, and many other people do not, but uh, although many of us were skeptical about this argument, it turns out that the Commission did translate the agreement into all the languages and published the, those translations today. So maybe there is something in this. However, I think the admissibility issue will be a problem here for Latom. Now, besides this case, the German uh, politicians and one data protection authority have also found to be criticizing the, uh, the DPF uh, publicly and officially in the case of the DPA who advises German businesses to think very carefully before using the DPF. And Max Schrems is supposedly gearing up to bring his challenge, which we all knew was coming, which will this time be before the Austrian DPA and could be as soon as October the 10th, which is the earliest possible date for some procedural reason or other to bring that sort of claim. So we could have Schrems 3, we've got this Nicholas Tom character doing this action for annulment, and we've got German politicians criticizing the law publicly, uh, the, the, the decision I should say. Uh, so lots of pressure building on the DPF, I mean, the Commission and the US government would have been prepared for this, and they seem to genuinely think that the agreement will withstand these challenges. I am in two minds, personally. You know, I would I'd like to be able to join in with everyone saying that the, uh, treat, the, the, the decision will inevitably fail, but I'm really not sure. I mean, there are some, some improvements over the previous, uh, the previous iterations. I'm not necessarily saying they are sufficient, but the, the, it will be a very interesting case. I'm 50-50 on it, I, I confess. So thanks so much. That's all from me this week. And uh, thanks again to Privado AI, who are providing privacy code scanning software that you should definitely check out right now. And I'll see you all next week.